boom, 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 boom. I like to move it, move it, move it, move it, move it. Is that the intro for the podcast? Oh, shoot. <laughs> We're live. Oh, cool. We're here live at the Beast Compound in Clearwater, Florida. This is episode nine of the Beast Thinking Podcast. Got a special guest in the house, back in the house again. This is your second episode. This yes, is your second uh, podcast episode with me. We got Nicholas Davenport, everybody. Feeling special. Yes, uh, I feel like you have a new uh, new swagger to you since I seen you last time. Uh, some some great things has happened since we last uh, met. Uh, as you guys know, Nick works with Dustin Poitier, who is now the lightweight champion of the world for UFC fighting. Uh, Nick is his cognitive conditioning coach. Uh, huge win, not only for Nick and, and Dustin, but also for the cognitive conditioning movement, getting people bought in to what we actually do and the power of cognitive conditioning. So, Nick, congratulations. I sent you a text message, but your <laughs> phone was broke or something. Hey. I was trying to blow him up. But he, uh, I was so excited. I, I was watching. It was just, like, excited for you, excited for the movement. Uh, congratulations on that. Uh, what do you want to say to the people? Well, we're going to ride off the energy of the Dustin win. Like, like I feel like I was fighting, and I've never been in a cage fight, so I can only imagine the, what was his mind like. Right. Like, he's done this over 40 times. He has the second longest fight streak before getting a title shot. So meaning he had to go through so much adversity. There's guys who got title shots in only two, three, four fights. Right. He did it 22 times, Whew. climbed up the rankings, proved himself, and got denied so many times. And I'm big on mental toughness, obviously. My name's Mr. Mental Muscle, but... This man is the epitome of mental toughness if I've ever seen it. And the fact that we worked together was just an enhancement to what he already had, you know. Good. It's not like we made him, no. But we took the great mental prowess that he already possessed and he bought into the program. And like you say, it was a win for kind of conditioning because, let's be real, before he came on the scene with me and him, it, it existed, but it wasn't to the magnitude that we done with our four different ESPN and Fox interviews. Like, he speaks very highly on it, he believes in it, and he brought in other fighters who believe in it too, so... He's done a lot for this industry indirectly, and the fact that he won just solidifies it. So let's backtrack a little bit for our listeners that don't know what cognitive conditioning is. Uh, give, give a great description on what cognitive conditioning is and why we all need it, not just athletes. Oh, yeah, so it's a modality. So a lot of people get confused when I say cognitive conditioning and not understand that cognitive training is the, the industry, the, mm-hmm. the uh the concept or the um the field mm-hmm. but kind of conditioning is the subfacet that we put together as mind body one so our methods include brain training that requires decision making reaction time memory hand-eye coordination pattern recognition now you say what does this mean exactly so sports obviously people quickly oh you need to be fast react quick but think about regular life did you ever have to do an assignment that required you to take in a lot of information, overload your brain? A lot of people fail not because they didn't know the material or know the test or whatever. It's because their brain could process it all fast enough or efficiently enough. So if I can train my brain to do these things like you train a muscle, then I can make it stronger. So simply put, it's training your brain with the same concept of how you train a muscle. Do different reps and sets at different intensities of a brain uh, exercise until you get more proficient at it. So we've, we've all heard the term and the phrase sports is 90% mental, 10% physical. So kind of explain to me as a cognitive conditioning specialist what that mental part actually is in relation to sports. Okay, so bringing back to sports, so especially at the high level, maybe not so much at a little league level, but I can never say from high elite high schoolers up until pros, 
mostly skill-wise, they're the same. Because if you're a, a pro athlete, you've all been through 15, 20 years of training physically. Right. So if I'm making millions of dollars catching a football or millions of dollars hitting a baseball, odds are the guy on the bench next to me is just as good, maybe not better than I am. Mm-hmm. We talk about this all the time. Is it necessarily the guy who's the best player is the one who's the better physically, or is it that can he perform more consistently? So with cotton conditioning, the goal is to put them in that mental states so their thought processes can allow them consistently perform repetitiously over and over and over and over again. Under stress. Under stress, definitely. Under stress. anyone's good when it's, it's, it's the perfect scenario. Right. Oh, we had no hard competition. Yeah, you're going to score 30, 40 points in the game. Can you score that against the number one player in the league? Exactly. Or the nation? Exactly. Maybe and I, I, and that's, what, that's what I was watching the fight with Dustin. It went, uh, how many rounds did it go? It went the full, full length. Full length. But he came out swaying. Which well, I think, though, when a fight does go full length, the longer it goes, the more mental it exactly. becomes. Because fatigue starts to be a factor. Oh, and yes. so now you're having to perform. He's been fighting his whole life, I take it. Yeah, 14 uh, years old, I think. And so fighting. now... He has to pull out these skills while he's under stress. Mm-hmm. And we've talked about the stress response before on how if you get too stressed out, that your ability to recall skills becomes diminished, essentially. So you aren't you anymore. Nope. And so watching that fight and seeing how just cognitively sharp he was. Also, shout out to his uh, physical trainer. Was name? Phil DeRue. DeRue. One time for Phil DeRue. Phil DeRue, you did an amazing, in. amazing job with him because he just looked sharp toward, all the way towards the end of the, end of the fight. He was still throwing hard punches the whole entire Head fight. Running. So uh, shout out to him. But... Back to our point on cognitive conditioning, you know, me working with a lot of athletes, I've, I saw it. I saw guys that spent the time in the lab, you know, doing the skill work, spent the time in the weight room doing all that, and then to see them not to be able to perform the way I know they could because of their brain was disheartening. And, you know, I'm blessed to run into you because I've been doing a lot of this type of training here at Beast, and guys and girls also are starting to be able to perform easy task because essentially what you do in your sport is easy because you've been doing it so many times mm-hmm. but they can do it under stress now they can do it in front of big crowds they can do it with their girlfriend watching they can do it after they can, can still play after they miss five shots in a row so cognitive conditioning it teaches all that stuff it teaches athletes how to deal with failure how to not respond to failure we were doing a drill uh, earlier today with one of my coaches and she had kind of a, a negative self-talk going and oh, you yes. corrected her self-talk so all all that mental stuff that goes on in sports is exposed using sticks, using a really? chart. And people just look at these things like, what are these? What are these things? Dude? This is this is this is simple. Like I can I can make this at home, but yeah. they don't understand the practical use of these and how these are, to me, in my opinion, the most powerful tools that exist right now in cognitive conditioning. You mentioned the mindset. That's a part of cognitive conditioning that doesn't get touched on a lot when we do our drills. They see the fit lights, Mm -hmm. probably the biggest thing people notice because they light up and it's cool. They see the sticks or whatever, but they don't understand, like I said, the self-talk. When I heard her say, oh, I'm not going to be able to do this or I'm not going to be able to catch it, if you start off with that notion, guess what? I can't guarantee that you'll win because you have a positive mindset. But I can guarantee you're going to lessen your chances to win if you have a negative 100%. mindset. 100%. I can guarantee you're lessening your chances. Because I'm not one of those happy-go-lucky, mystical, just think positively, guys, mm-hmm. and it's going to be good. No. Right. It just sets you up with the ability to succeed. It doesn't mean you're going to succeed. But if you choose to think negatively, and it is a choice, a lot of people say, well, I can't help it. Lies. Right. You only are a product of what you do all the time. Right. So if you said, I can't do this, the odds are you say that all the time to yourself. 
So basically, you gotta train yourself like you would a muscle to say these things. It sounds stupid, I think, in theory, but when you really practice self-talk, positive self-talk, it doesn't have to be stuff like, I can do anything possible. It could be stuff like, I'll get better at this. Mm-hmm. It's not super over the top, but it's not right. to say, I can make a better change versus just well, lying to yourself. To that point, too, I think your self-talk creates a narrative. Your narrative creates a vision in your imagination, which imprints what they actually, your body does not know the difference between the imagination and reality. Yep. And so essentially by saying, I can't do something and creating that narrative over and over again, you're seeing yourself failing your imagination. So then you're going to actually fail in your actual reality, too. Exactly. And it's going to be normal. You're going to be right, right? Because you said you weren't going to be able to do it. And lo and behold, you weren't able to do it. But I think it was Henry Ford that said, whether you believe it. You can or you can't. You can. You're right. You're right. Whether you think you can or, or you can't. can't. You're you are right. You are right. Right. Because Johnny and Sally can say something. You don't listen to Johnny and Sally. This is the thing I love to say. When we talk negatively to yourself, we believe it. Right. If if a random stranger say, hey, Tuck, man, you suck at basketball. You're probably uh-huh. going to be like, okay, and who cares who you are? Uh-huh. But if you say to, to yourself, myself, Tuck, right, you right. suck at basketball. Damn, right. do I? Because you believe yourself better than anyone in this world. 100%. Better than your mom, your dad, your cousins, your, your best friend. You believe yourself because you talk to yourself more than anyone. Right. We, you know how much words we say a day on average? How many? We can say up to 100,000 words. <sighs> you know how much words that is compared? Let's do a, a little thought exercise. You like Harry Potter? Not really. But you know what but, it is, though. But uh, I know some books. people that do. So, I, so I, it's one of the most popular books in the uh-huh. world, yes. regardless of if you yes. like it. I've, yes. I've read a few when I was a kid. Yes. I stopped probably when I was older because I wasn't really into it like that. Mm-hmm. But we had to read them when we was kids. The average Harry Potter book is 120,000 words. So every day you're pretty much speaking a volume of words that is one of the biggest books. Wow. Volume series in, in uh, literature. Wow. Every day, though. Wow. You don't read a book like Harry Potter all the time. Wow. You read it. And you're done with it. And so the intensity of those words is going to... Exactly. Mm. 100,000 words. That's average. Mm. What if you're a guy or a person who thinks a lot? Right. You might be doing 150K. And, and to the, the positive self-talk, if you look at the elite athletes, you already know without even asking, when Kobe Bryant misses five shots in a row, is he, like, is he saying, I suck? Absolutely not. He's saying number six is going to go in. Number seven is going to go in. So Muhammad Ali, I'm the greatest. Like the, the guys that... Got it. They think very highly of themselves. Oh, yes. Uh, people in that, a healthy way, though. In a healthy way, yeah. right, right, for sure. Our, our president, you can say, does the <laughs> same thing. Now, he, he thinks very highly of himself, so whether he believes it, he's right and or I hate not, that he's, he's right. He actually has gotten to a position that no other person will get to, and it, it works. Obviously, he has other benefits, right. but he got to where he thought he was going to get because he believed it. Whether 100%. he's crazy or not, in right. my opinion, right. I'll commend him. For, I'll commend him. I, I might get negative feedback for this. I commend Donald Trump because he wanted to do something, and he made it happen. Right. And I think you got to maybe press the bottom button. And it's, it's funny because yeah, you yeah. mentioned um, self-talk. We're talking about Muhammad Ali or Michael Jordan or something like that, mm-hmm. Kobe. But let's use Dustin again. Yes. While he's definitely one of the top athletes in the world, mm-hmm. I don't know Muhammad Ali. Right. I don't know Jordan. Right. So the fact that I can speak on him, mm-hmm. the number one lightweight right now, is the fact what his self-talk was like. Right. And very what was healthy, that like? Very healthy self-talk. He got down just like anybody else. Mm-hmm. He had frustrations. He had to go through adversity. Like I said, 22 fights mm-hmm. without getting a single opportunity. Not even talk. They didn't even talk about him getting his title shot. Usually they're like, oh, he may get it. There wasn't even talk. Right. It's like, I work for this. And he had to tell himself, you deserve this, champ. We use the word champ a lot. Um, Shouts out to Dia Davis, his boxing coach, um, Mike Brown, all of Phil DeRue, uh, Tiago Alves, and the rest of his team, they're just fighting coaches. Mm -hmm. And me and Phil are his human performance, strength and conditioning. So everyone around that, we use the word champ a lot. And not in a 
uh, an egotistical way, like, oh, I'm the champ, I'm going to be there. It's more so speaking to his instance, like 100%. you said. 100%. And you got this champ. 100%. Because he was a champ way before he stepped into that. Absolutely. Octagon. He was a champ before he even came to ATT. I'd like to say, like, I've known Dustin about two years now. And in those two years, I've come to become a friend to him more than just a client because obviously we work as a team. But we've had times we've hung out. I remember I watched his movie. He has a movie about him called Fightville mm -hmm. showing his story of becoming a pro. Wow. And we watched that. We were just hanging out. We had a bottle of wine. I know that sounds crazy, right? <laughs> we were just watching. It was just talking about, like, how far he's come. And I was looking like, this is amazing to see. He started out as a guy who finds all he had. He was working at, I think, a construction site, mm -hmm. paying the bills, because you got to pay the bills. Right. So, man, so I'm going to make my family proud. And he's done that. He said it then. That mm. was when he was, like, I think, 19 or 20. Mm. He's 30 now. Mm. His wife was there, too. And she thought it. So the and, belief system is a big part of this. And I think, I think what we're really showing, we're kind of diverting a little bit, but you, made, you brought up just a, a strong point that people need to understand and is, one, your self-talk has to be righteous. Yes. has to be in alignment with what you're trying to achieve. And then second, the people around you have to support that vision. It's you. You're calling him champ before he's champ. He. You said his wife is, was bought into him being the championship. So it wasn't like he had. He wasn't in an environment of frenemies or naysayers that was in his immediate his immediate circle. So like you got to think about it. I think uh, I forget who said the quote is like if you're if the people around you aren't inspiring you and motivating you to be your best self, you don't have a circle. You have a cage. <laughs> I like, I you have that. a cage. You have people that are literally locking you in, being that same person that they see you as now. They're not motivating you to be that person that you can be. Because your growth scares them. 100%. So I think that's very important. And you need to, We all need to ask ourselves, one, am I supporting the dreams of the people that I hang around? And two, are the people that are hanging around me supporting my dreams? And I think it, you know, once you find those answers, you'll know what you need, what the next step needs to be. Either you go graduate closer to the ones that are supporting you, or drift away from those that don't support your dream. But that's the only way it's going to happen. It, it's going to confirm that vision in your mind and help you believe that you can achieve it even more when you have people supporting that dream. Exactly. So back to Dustin. Uh, what was he like doing some of the mind body one drills? Did he did you ever were able to get him into a position where he was very uh frustrated oh, yes. and his frustration started to show? He knows it, he probably hates it for it, but it was all love. Yes, I, I purposely like it's not that I know how you have a parent say, oh, I'm, I'm hard on you because I care. Right. It's kind of like one of those situations because obviously anyone who trains their mind body one, I'm gonna give him a hard task. Right. But when there's different things at stake, we up the ante. And it's like when I first met him, I wasn't in the fight world at all. I knew maybe a few names, mm -hmm. like the ones who were like Ronda Rousey or Conor McGregor. So I didn't really know a lot about what took and what, what components of it I could help with. Right. But as the years went by, I figured out and my knowledge grew. So one of the things I noticed that a lot of fighters, when they get, and this is not just um, fighting, this is life period. We talk about stress. You go into fight or flight mode, survival mode. Right. When you get nicked, get caught on the shin, there's no more game plan. It's knock this mother freaker out. Right. You know? Right. And that can be very harmful in a fight. Right. Because you're exposing your weaknesses and you're allowing them to get in your head and get your cheap, or not cheap shots, but get your weak points because now you're not really you're brawling. You're not it, brawling. Exactly. Right. That's the word. Brawling. Right. And brawling gets a lot of people knocked, knocked out. out. Right. Now you can win with brawling, mm -hmm. but it's like, like I always say, I think it's the last a wily victory or performance to chance. Right. And one thing I noticed with him, we've been doing these drills, 
Like, obviously, his fight coach has done this. So, that's one thing I always disclaim because people ask, so you think this had a big part of him? Like, it had a part. I'm going to leave it at that. I don't want to say competition is a reason. It definitely isn't. No. His skill as a it's human a piece being. Of the pie. Exactly. It's a piece of the pie. People like to make blanket statements like, right. oh, that was the game difference. Uh, maybe it had a big effect because we do have tasks that we make them do that will simulate a mood state or a mental component. Like, I do a drill, like you asked, with um, something called a concentration grid, mm-hmm. and it has 100 numbers. And I have this concentration stick here we have on the table. I know mm-hmm. people can't see it here, but live can see it. And he has to go from near to far. He's about a few feet away. You'll find the number on the concentration stick. So what you do with the stick is you move a magnet on the stick that's uh, magnet magnetic. And you pull it to the appropriate number. So say you find one, you pull it to one, flip it to the other side, find two. Mm-hmm. But in this case, we made it harder because there's 100 numbers on this grid. So he has to find it here. So one, find it on the grid. And they're very small letters. It's a lot of scanning. He's staring you dead in the face. What do you have to do in the fight? Stares You're staring him dead, dead in the face. face. You can't take your eyes off your opponent for not even right. a second. Right. Think about other sports. You can do that in basketball. Right. You can do it in football. Right. And still win or right. succeed. You take your eyes off your opponent for a split second, that means you may go down. Right. Count. So we get them just from that visual component. Now where the stress comes in, it's time limits. It's, 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 it's uh, aggravations like, oh, where is this? I can't find this number. And you're still looking, mm-hmm. trying to pick apart your opponent. So it's not simulating the fight, it's simulating the mood state. Like being frustrated, have to look at something. So the fights are five minutes long, or the rounds are five minutes long. So we usually do that simulation for a long duration, sustained attention task. So imagine just looking at a, a stupid iPad screen for five minutes. The first 30 seconds alone, you get bored with it. Right. And I like that. Mm-hmm. And I know that. I do it myself. Everything I put in my clients, I do it myself. Uh, my partner Greg's done it. He mm-hmm. knows he's trained with us too. Shout out to Greg. And Greg's in the back one time. <laughs> so, and it's like, it's very monotonous and boring. Right. And I'm telling you, you have to focus on this for five minutes. But the thing is, guess what the fight is? You're going to get times that I'm tired. Like you right. said, fatigue makes your mind do different things mm-hmm. that it shouldn't be doing. It makes mm-hmm. you quit. It makes you say, can I just go home? Because your brain says, I want to relax. And with all our cognitive drills, aside from the actual components of mental training, the fact of... I'm not going to want to even keep doing this. It's always going to be at play because it does get monotonous. I know for right. a fact I got clients who do this sometimes and be like, dang, I'll do this again. Not because they don't want to do it because it's frustrating. Right. Who wants to be frustrated? So, yes, to answer your question in long, yeah, we want to get them mad and angry and frustrated. So what was uh, this this upcoming fight? What was kind of the progressions on the oh, cognitive yeah. conditioning stuff? What what things did you keep in the box? Because we had talked earlier, you know, you said there's, you're very critical on yourself, mm-hmm. which I love. Like, I love that, that the fact that you're, you're one, you're willing to try anything, but also you're willing to also cut things, cut the fat off of things exactly. that you don't think that are working as well. And uh, that's, that's great. So what, what things, what specific things were you guys kind of doing to really... Uh, get him ready mentally for this fight. So we talk about working memory. For those who don't know, that's just putting more uh, things to to worry about during a a session or during a task. So this time around, I did a lot of drills that required like two to three things going on simultaneously. So his detention is always diverted in multiple directions. I want him to be overwhelmed. So we did one drill when he um, had to do the grid the one we just mentioned uh, with the numbers, mm-hmm. had the fit lights on the side as well. And while he was doing it, I gave him numbers to remember. I remember seeing that. And one. then yes. after he did it, I would give him a distraction task, like say the ABCs, and then count the 20, and then count backwards from 20. Mm-hmm. So he could forget the numbers and say, now give me those numbers in order. Sounds maybe not crazy, but if you do it, 
as soon as I say say the ABCs, your mind goes like, what? Wait, what were the numbers now? Because now you just lost train of thought. Right, right. And we had one moment. It was actually the week before the final um, for the fight. And we were at King Mo, shout out to Muhammad Lawal, who's another one of our fighters who's been doing it with us for about two years now, too. And we were training together, all three of us. Mm-hmm. And they were going back and forth c- competitively because I like those sessions because it kind of pushes each other. So he had stopped for a second and was like, dang, I don't know numbers. So Kimo gave him one little hit. He didn't give it away. He said, think rapper. So one numbers was 21. Okay, gotcha. So he didn't say 21. what kind of savage. No, he just said, think rapper. Uh-huh. As soon as he said that cue, he got all the numbers. Wow. But the thing was, he was defeated. He, he was going to be like, dang, I don't know him. Self-taught, right? Right. But as soon as he got that little curve, you got it, Dustin. Knock him out. Like, that may be menial, but you know what I'm saying? Like, it all takes one trigger, mm-hmm. and you're back on track. And 100%. you got to be able to revert that thinking ASAP, because if you do that in a performance, it could be defeat. Right. So it, it's pretty interesting to see how we progress by adding more. Because before, we did stuff similar like that, but I didn't want to overwhelm it. But now it's like, no, let's overwhelm it. Let's make as many, almost every drill we did had at least two to three things going on, minimum. Woof. Minimum. Before, it would be like, this is the one task, like the, the grid, when you had to step to the color box. A lot mm-hmm. of people see that on my page. And that's it. We did one when you had to step to the grid of the color box, and there's a smaller uh, screen iPad with numbers on it. So you're looking at the screen of the iPad as well as looking at the grid simultaneously. Change your vote focus to the far task, which is the, the grid, to the close task, which is the iPad. So you step into these sides. You have to move a certain direction. Remember where those colors are on the floor. Mm-hmm. See them 10 feet away while still coloring out the number right in front of you. And these are the type of things we're doing that, that make him more stressed. Because a lot of people, I know this is kind of going to different territory, but a lot of people look for the, the more of the physicality of these drills. Mm-hmm. And if you look at my first drills with him back in 2017, we did a lot of those. Right. I had these drills when he had to put the flights out with his feet, and everyone loved them. Right. They saw him doing it fast. He was very fast with them. Quick, put them out. And it got a lot of attention. And I haven't really done much of those. And those got a lot of views. I've gotten 20-plus thousand views on those videos. But that's more of a physical component than mental yeah. component. That's just him re- react- that's reacting. reaction. But this is how I say I scrutinize myself, mm-hmm. cut the fat. I cut those drills. You don't ever see those drills on my page anymore. Right. And the thing is, you say, why would you not do that? It got 20,000 views. But I'm not here for views. I'm here to make this athlete the best. Right. I would never say, hey, Dustin, let's try some random crazy drill that's physical, but it could put you in danger or something like that, risk you getting hurt. Like, if you notice... A lot of drills are very little movement. Right. If they are movement, it's no more than like five to ten feet range. I think that's when, when people do see some of the drills. Even we've done some stuff here that, I, that we've gotten from you guys and some stuff that we've put a little spin to. They see it and they're like, oh, no. Mm-hmm. But they do it. It's like, oh, man, that's Always. awesome. Like, man, I see how this is forcing my brain to make decisions under stress. And you, you, you see a lot of it's a great way, too, to like pull out personality out of people. Because, like, it's easy to be one way just right now, but you add stress, you add stress, you add stress. How someone responds and acts out of stress, to me, is their true character. That's the measure of their yep. character. Martin Luther King thinks that. Yep, that. yep. Measure of man. It's, is, it's is how steel. he's... How you respond during times of stress or times of, of, of adversity. Our, our mantra here at Beast Athletics is a true beast separates themselves from other athletes based on their ability to maintain an athletic state under tremendous emotional and physical stress. Exactly. So can you be athletic? Can you be you under stress? And physical stress, meaning fatigue, but also emotional so stress, stress, meaning worries, failure, doubts. worry, trying to win, your girlfriend's in the audience, your coach just oh, yeah. yelled at you. Like, And that's what really motivated me to really get into the industry for our athletes on the athlete side of things. It's just seeing 
how emotionally weak most athletes are. Oh, yes. Most athletes are emotionally weak. You know why, though? Most coaches say this dangerous statement. I'm going to say it one time, one time only because I hate it. You either got it or you don't. That's the worst thing you can tell anyone, let alone an athlete, right. because it insinuates that. Fixed mindset. Fixed mindset. Exactly. Carol right. Duet. One time yep. for Carol Duet. But um, it's saying, like, okay, if I'm not mentally tough, I'll never be mentally tough. No. Just like any skill. I don't know why, and I guess because of years of conditioning in this society is they think we can't change our mindset. We can change everything else in life. Why can't we change how we think? Right. Like, if I've always been a worrier, I can become a person who's more confident in my abilities and not worry every time. If I'm someone who's strong-minded, you can even improve. Not things, too. That's negative, too, when people say, oh, I'm already mentally tough. Okay. That's a fixed mindset, too. It's, and that's danger, too, because right. you don't got to be sick to you're get not better. And you're not going to get any better from exactly. that. Exactly. Right. Right. I'm supposed to wait till I, I'm dying of a, a, a disease to say, let me take care of my body now? Right. No. Right. Preventative maintenance. So just like with the drills, we talked about how do we make them tough. We can measure them. We can see, oh, he got this score when it was a, a small load, a small mm-hmm. uh, task. But the same task with extra load, he got this score. Now I can say, well, she or he did 20-something reps or 20-something numbers or lights, whatever, with the normal load, but only did six when it was stress. And and as a practitioner in both fields now, the physical world and the mental world, when I look at the cognitive conditioning, anytime I add a stressor, Visually, I imagine just adding the extra weight to the bar mm-hmm. and seeing the, if the athlete can do that. If they can do that relatively easily, it means I got to add a little bit more weight. Because another thing that we need to talk about, too, is that how the human body and the brain, it wants to be stressed. All right. But to a certain extent, because mm-hmm. it will uh, the body and the brain will adapt to stress. And that's what's going to help us grow. If you're not stressing it, if you're not failing time to time, like you just had an awesome video in the in your car the other day about just, if you're not failing at something over and over again, you're not getting better. All right? And that's what it's all about. It's, it's pushing yourself just slightly past your threshold of what you're able to do to get a little bit better every single time. That's what I, that's visually what I think about when I'm working with my athletes using the Mind Body One method and other methods that we use here is, am I stressing this athlete slightly outside of their comfort zone? Because that's what's going to get them better. Exactly. You know, we just had, we just worked with, uh, shout out to Badu the Great, uh, one of my athletes, Badu, uh, uh, former Coastal Carolina forward, uh, played in Australia last year for basketball. And uh, I saw you and Greg's face. I was like, he's killing this. But we, but we continuously, we were trying to figure out and ways more and more and more to get to where we got to his threshold, and we finally got a little bit on the balance side of things on there, where he was uh, one legged. Yeah, we <laughs> added some little bit, a little bit of physical stress. We didn't have him standing on no physio ball or nothing like that, but we had him on one leg. <laughs> we had him on one Which leg. People on the video can see it, but people on the phone can't see my face right now. <laughs> So we added we added a safe. We'll stick to the plan. We added a safe physical component uh, yeah, I'm to that. <laughs> Tom but uh, it was good though because he, he left feeling you know a little bit mentally taxed with what we want because now through rest and he's going to eat. Now the body's going to super compensate and we've gotten him better not only physically today but also mentally. And that's one thing here that we're stressing at the Beast Compound is that is the compound effect is combining the, the mental training with the physical training to help athletes reach their peak physical performance, both mentally and physically uh, performance on the field and on the court. So uh, what uh, if you could go back and redo Justin's program as far as cognitive conditioning, 
because you got he has to get ready for his next fight, right? With uh, Khabib Nurmagomedov, I think that's how you say that's it. I always I, mess it. That's up. why I let you say that. Not yeah, myself. Dustin Poirier. <laughs> A lot of people say his name wrong, like Poirier. It's Poirier. Poirier. That's how you say there's it. No, uh, there's no T in there. Nah. It's not Poitier. Nah, that's talking about Sydney. Sydney yeah, Poitier. Poirier. I'm Sydney Poitier. So now, <laughs> getting, getting him ready for this next fight against Habib, what's going to be, what things are you going to really focus on? Uh, does the game plan change at all now that he's fighting a different guy? Like, not so much. Uh-huh. I guess, see, this is where I think, because me and Phil talked about this, Drew Strong, um, like, because when you think about the type of fighters they're going against, that can come to play. And I guess Habib is phenomenally known for his ground attack. So people constantly say this. I see on Twitter and other social media, like, oh, be ready for Habib's ground and pound as if Dustin doesn't know how to wrestle or do jiu-jitsu. Right. And at the end of the day, physically speaking, me and Phil probably going to have the same protocols. Yes, there might be tweaks. But for the most part, I would like to say that only thing I personally for kind of stuff with change is maybe the uh, positioning of physical. So I may get more physical with this. So that's mm-hmm. why I think I may change it. Mm-hmm. But it won't be like like nothing extreme. So right. let's say for example, this is me shooting in the dark. If I was to use like a stability ball or a Bosu ball, maybe instead of like standing on it or something, <laughs> but uh, you might <laughs> like have them lay on it. Uh-huh. Cause think about it, you're in a wrestling position or jujitsu position, you're on your back, right? Unstable, and have the um, like I have a mind attachment with the the iPads when the a, a screen comes on with a specific routine, and they gotta react quickly to it. And it's like say four plus two, and there's like four colors. You know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. The arithmetic. Mm-hmm. So they gotta basically call out the color based on the equation. So have them do that same mental task, mm-hmm. but now he's in a upper position trying to make the decisions and keeping stability. So I might throw, and I just started out on the spot. Right. Like I don't know where it'll come, but right. for the most part, the concepts will not change too much. It just maybe so the positioning. I think this is where I'll get a little more physical with it. Now, do you? You know, there's there's different components to cognitive conditioning. There's working memory. There's impulse control. Yeah. There's uh, name some other ones. So we have six. Um, I uh, guess categories and there's obviously subcategories but mm-hmm. the six are vision or sensory so that's how we take in information right uh, obviously vision's not the only way but 80% of our brain is attributed to visual stimuli so okay. majority of our brain is doing visual stimulus um, the second one is working memory low so just basically how we hold and process information so impulse will fall under there mm-hmm. uh, reaction kind of falls under there but we actually give another category just for reaction, reaction. because reaction I actually put decision making in there too because mm-hmm. the this is the thing. Working memory kind of is the grandfather of all the other ones. Because if you have that on point, the other ones will fall in. But I put it as its own category because there is specific drills you can do to target mainly that. But reaction is basically how quickly can you respond to an external thing. But mm-hmm. obviously, there's more than just responding. It's how do you respond. So I put right. decision-making under reaction. Okay. Then we have um, stress exposure. So this is where, like you said, putting them in states that's going to make it more challenging. So we're not just going to be like, hey, take a free throw at the end of practice or take 20 free throws at the end of practice to leave like I know a lot of coaches do mm-hmm. have them do 20 free throws with their teammates in their face yelling screaming or you can even get more digital get some headphones to make a pre-made track right. to make it hard for them to focus because anyone can make 20 in a row right. when it's easy and no one's making noise but the game is never going to be consequence like has to be there exactly right. or yeah if you don't make 20 in a row you, everyone you miss you add an extra back. five push-ups right. yeah something like that right. so that's strength exposure um, the next one is mindset management so this one is where you get more into the psychological aspect the mind states the self-talk mm-hmm. the confidence I made something called the, the house of thoughts the other day and that's just basically how do you approach each task of your life with the mindset of one your door 
the door opens your way to the house, right? So that's change. Until you embrace change and accept the inevitable, how can you get better at what you're trying to do? Then you have the, um, the, the, the sofa. I call this your confidence because a sofa, we sit down, we get comfortable. Mm-hmm. Once you're comfortable with your abilities, not saying you, you don't want to get better with them, but once you believe and trust in them, mm-hmm. you're comfortable, you can trust in them and use less working memory, less thought process on your ability and put the rest on the task at hand. So yes. think about trying to dribble down the court or punch or whatever. And you're taking left arm, right arm, right. left foot. Try doing it. You look very robotic and pretty right. dumb. But that's what happens when people choke. Mm-hmm. They go back to that. So that's um, mindset managed with the, uh, the sofa. Then there's the refrigerator. That's your motivation. Because motivation can mean many things. So it's external, intrinsic, and extrinsic. So external is like... I get an A for doing my work. Mm-hmm. You need an external. I'm not saying don't do it. Right. But if that's all you do, because I'm a teacher, right? And I work at the college and I have students all the time. I'm trying to get an A. Well, you can't get an A unless you work on the process. And this is where goals come in. So the goals is the table. And I use the analogy of the table because they was like, would that be a good analogy for goals? Because people say bring something to the table. And I'm like, use your mind differently. I mean the table because if food is the fuel, what do you put on the table? Food. Right. So the, the goal is how to use this motivation. That's goals. Process. So I like to say, uh, what I said yesterday, I think um, focus on the process. You can't get far without one because process helps performance and performance shapes the outcome. Right. So process first. Am I going to practice or am I going to class or I'm going to work? can't get paid to you do those things. You right. can't get better if you do those things. Then you get good at the process. Then the real performance comes. I'm in the game. Since I practice my jump shot or practice my left hooks or my swings, now I'm in the game, I'm hitting home runs or I'm knocking people out or I'm shooting threes. And then the threes, the process and performance don't guarantee the outcome, but it shapes it. If I made 10 threes and my team did their thing, we're probably going to win. Right. But if I didn't practice my process, practice my performance, do good, probably not going to win. Can't get it. So that's the, um, the, uh, the uh, table. And the last one is the bed. So the bed is where you go to sleep at night, right? You recover from the, the stressors, the worries, the physical stress of the day. Same thing with your mental. Mm-hmm. So if you fail in a task, you want to come back either rested, okay, I had a hard, rough day, but I'm rested for the day to go out and do it again and get right. better. Or you're insomniac, right? Mm-hmm. You was up all night. Man, I failed. I, I can't do this. I guess I wasn't meant to be. You're insomniac. You up all night instead of in that bed sleep. So that's the bed. So that's mindset management. That's how we dictate. And I have actually personality measures that go with this because I have a background in psychology to show where's my athlete or my you can use this actually with business you can use it with relationships you can use it with school so it basically showing what's your mental states and the last part is mental physicality so this is a transference of all of that so this category is just saying can you take all that stimuli all that information all the mood states and make a movement that dictates a better performance mm. So that is the first time I actually said that out loud live. It's like a construct I use when I make my drills. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be live soon when I make the certification in July. So it's had to get out. But these are actually constructs. So when people be like, oh, you're doing these drills and people want to say, oh, we're doing stuff for the industry. They're not realizing I'm doing this not just as a gimmick of doing some cool, cool technical drills and lights and stuff. Like, no, there's a method to my madness. And that's what kind of conditioning method really comes down to. So number one was? Vision, sensory, taking in information. Vision, so sensory. quick recap, vision, taking information. Working memory, manipulate the information to use. Reaction, how can you respond to the external information? Um, stress exposure, can you be put in uncomfortable situations and still perform? Mindset management, what are your thought processes? Are you confident? Are you motivated? Are you beating yourself up failure? Are you succeeding? Are you a warrior or a warrior? And last but not least, mental physicality. Can I put all that together and make a motor skill to perform, whether shooting a basketball, throwing a punch, riding a bike, riding a test, or getting a date? Mm. Mm. I love it. 
So that's kind of conditioning in 10 seconds. And I, Sorry, I'm long-winded sometimes. <laughs> I, I, feel, I feel, though, like what, what cognitive conditioning is doing is really the glue that's putting everything together. I, I think, you know, the, the skills coaches and the, the physical trainers all need to be paying attention and aware of what's going on in this industry because it's only going to make what they do look better. Funny enough, you probably see this all the time, I'm sure. They don't see it. They're probably the most reluctant people are mm-hmm. to fit. Because I work with oh, yeah. doctors. Oh, yeah, yeah, I work yeah. with therapists. Pretty much everyone's kind of embracing it. It's only the shrimp coaches and the fitness people. You know, people who say, we train different. It's more mental. And I'll DM them. Mm-hmm. I have messages left. Oh, sorry. Messages left on a scene right now I can show. Mm-hmm. For people who I reach out. And who I only reach out to select people that I know. Maybe they'll like this because they'll talk about the mental. Mm-hmm. But when they say mental, they just mean work hard, do your best. Right, the motivational kind of exactly. aspect of it. Right. So That's when I reach out, I'm thinking maybe they're open. Right. And you've probably seen that too. I think you mentioned like people, parents, they'll be like, but well, what does this really do? Right. So I think that's the biggest battle, like, get people to understand that. Yeah, I think, and I like what you're doing with the certification and just, one, just how forthcoming you are with your information because you could easily not tell anybody what you're doing because you got some really, really, really good stuff. And I, and I can co-sign on it because I've you. done it here. Appreciate that. People love it, and I've seen the results of it. You know, I've had one parent tell me that their kid's doing better in school now. That's because they might, might, I think the kid was dealing with pretty much performance anxiety. Mm-hmm. And so performance anxiety, that's when you take a test or you have to play a basketball game or you have to deliver a speech. Those are all situations where someone's mindset might get offset and they aren't able to perform a task at their best of their ability. And so through just doing drills with the focus sticks and the grid and the color box and a couple other things we did, I was able to expose these kids to what it feels like to be stressed out and have give them a game plan now to combat that. So that one, it doesn't happen all the time, and so two, it shortens the refractory period of that stress response. Because exactly. if you don't have a game plan ready, that's literally like a car alarm going off and you don't know what button to push on your yep, keypad like to nap. turn it off. It's just going off, going off, going off. It's annoying you, it's annoying everybody else. You can't turn it off. But with, with a lot of the stuff that you have here, it's, it's been able to help our athletes put themselves in stressful situations more often so they can get used to dealing with performing a task under stress. And it's amazing how two sticks and a tennis ball can get a kid out of pocket. <laughs> yeah. And that's the thing. Some of my little kids, to my TBI people, all the way to my pros, it's almost the same reaction. Like, oh, man. And I like it because now, like you said, you had a kid you showed me who did get frustrated, and now you can address that because if you don't, like what I said with the fair thing, I said people fail not because they weren't good enough. They weren't bad enough. Right. They never want to see that bad side. Right. So if I don't know if I'm bad at something, how do I get better and correct myself? Exactly. And I think that's what you said was his issue, that mm-hmm. he never really felt the failure. He was right. always in a league where he could excel. And you train yourself to be good all the time. Like I said, you don't know how to fail. If you don't know how to fail, how do you – can you fail? Like, I think we should challenge the people. Like, your take-home message, mm-hmm. that should be take-home. Like, Go do something mm-hmm. where you're going to fail. Fail, like it, Fight Club. Isn't that, <laughs> isn't that part of uh, – I don't want to misquote it, but like the the Stoics, what they would do, they would do just random things like go buy the ugliest shirt possible (laughs) and wear it around so that you can see people's reaction to that shirt so you can deal well with rejection. I think you just fired a book collaboration idea. Yes. 101 Ways to Fail. 101 Ways to Fail. Heard it here. I don't know how real this is going to be, but I think we should do it. I think it's so so important because people have 
people have success so messed up. They think this person win after win after win. After especially win. when you look at somebody's resume, right? It's that makes it even worse. It's like, oh, this person did this, and, and then they then that's what they think justifies this final big win mm-hmm. because he was first team all this, and he was second team all this, and he was all that. But they don't understand what they don't see. Which is even more is all the times that they messed up oh, yeah. and able to deal I'm with it. And I, I think the more and more we teach people how to fail, the more fearlessly they're going to be able to attack their deepest desires. Because now failing at it is not going to be a it's big deal. It's no, it's natural. It's what's supposed to happen. You're supposed to fail. And this makes you fail. Like I, I, uh, one of my coaches made fun of me the other day because we were doing the focus sticks for two athletes. And I was like, I was saying good job when they failed, which was like throwing him off a little bit. Like he was like, huh? I was like, yeah. I was happy at myself because I was able to make them fail. So I was like, yeah. I, I, I do that with my students. <laughs> yeah. I teach part-time at Umbrella College back home. It's a small uh, state school. And we have a chapter in my class. It's called Total Wellness. And one of the chapters is financial wellness, uh, occupation wellness. And I speak on like failure in life in that sense and I talk about my path to becoming a college professor yes. and all this and not, this is the first time I ever told this you heard it here first with Tuck Taylor this person I trust so I'm going to say it to all y'all I never told this to him my boy Greg he was there with me when I went through this it was a very hard time for me uh-huh. so I'm, I'm going to be like Oprah I'm about to vent right yes, now yes. so I went to Bethune-Cookman University a small HBCU in Daytona Beach on a track scholarship and an academic scholarship had both so I was set mm-hmm. I had money I, I was had a Plenty of money, you feel me? So, I screwed it all up, though. Not because I wasn't smart enough or I was effing around. Like, So, my parents thought I was. So, I was on academic meaning I had to take a minimum or a maximum of all 18 credits. Mm-hmm. Full load. And then I had two classes with labs. So, I was doing 24 credits worth of class as an athlete. Oof. Normal students have trouble with that load. Right. I was in calculus, physics, honors chemistry, honors uh, English. Uh, uh, honors, ma- uh, like everything, mm-hmm. right? I fell behind almost all of them, and this is dumb on me and bad advising. I didn't know you could drop classes. It mm. may sound stupid coming from a guy who teaches college, right? But I didn't know that, right? Because in high school, you just go to the semester till it's done, right? So I thought I had to fight, and the thing is, I worked my butt off because I'm not a quitter, right? My teachers, they saw my motivation, like I would come out to class, ask for more work, mm-hmm. I would do that work and get a little bit better, struggle still, but I'll get better. They gave me chances, but unfortunately, I was so far behind. Right. I ended up failing three out of those six classes. Wow. My wow. GPA that semester, ready guys at home? Ready for people at TV Land? 0.88. Oh, no, so no number in front of the point? There was no number in oh, front no. of the point. Now, this sounds crazy considering I teach college now. And this is where I had a heart to heart. I'm not going to say the names of these coaches. And I'm a guy, I'm not a warrior, I'm a warrior. Mm-hmm. When they told me this, they said, Bethune Company sent me a letter. Winter break, my parents were furious. I lost my academic scholarship. All my money gone. Mm. And since I was ineligible academically, I lost my track scholarship. So I went to having everything set to zero. Mm. The coach said, hey, are you coming back? I said, why why wouldn't I? Well, you're no good to us. He told me straight up, you you can't help us. You failed out of school. And I was broken because I'm like, this man brought me here and right. he just abandoned me that quick. Right. So my parents are on me because they think I was just a partying. And as Greg, he know me for 15, 16 years. I'm probably the most boringest person in the world when it comes to that stuff. Mm-hmm. I'm fun as a person, I think. I think. But I don't go out. I don't do nothing. My teammates used to get on me because I never went out. Right. So I wouldn't do it. I didn't even have a girlfriend until like my third year. Mm-hmm. But anyway, so I knew I wasn't doing nothing bullcrap. My parents didn't believe that. Because like, how does this guy who was a 
honor student in high school mm-hmm. get a point eight eight. Right. So I I called the military recruiters. I was about to join the Marines. See, people, I don't even know Greg knew that. Mm-hmm. I was about to join the Marines. Wow. And I told myself, Nick, and I do this today to this day, self-talk. You're bigger than this. You can overcome this. I appealed my um, reinstatement to back to Bethune because I was not a student anymore. Right. They let me back in under provisional standards. I worked my butt off, got straight A's the first semester. Still was off the team, though. Mm-hmm. So my teammates would clown me like, oh, Nick, Nick flunked out, ha, 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 ha. I'm like, all right, cool. I see my real friends. I had two, three good friends that stuck by my side. Mm-hmm. Jay Young, Dante Sales, who's now part of my body one, and my friend Mark. They stuck by my side. Everyone else was clowning me. And I love them boys to this day. Like, I know they were just joking. We're kids. We're 18-year-old. Right. But it took a toll on me. 100%. So basically, I walked on. Not walked on. I competed unattached, meaning I trained by myself. Harold Rose, one of my best friends, is also part of my body one. He trained me because he was on the team still. Mm-hmm. And while everyone else, like I said, they're doing their thing. That's that's good because they can't worry about another person. But he took the time out of his day. We got up at 5 in the morning. Went to the track at Mainland High School, which is where we practice because Bethune doesn't have its own track. That's like three miles down the road. We would jog there. Mm. Do um, jump drills. I was a long jumper, triple jumper. And go back to school, do full day of class. Mind you, I'm not on scholarship no more. I mean, I don't have to do this. Wow. So I train my butt off, right? Uh-huh. Come back next year. Go against the same jumpers that that um, were on the team that I was teammates with against them. Mm-hmm. Same coach that let me go. Mm-hmm. Beat their jumpers. Oh, wow. Got my grades up. Walked back on because that staff actually ended up getting fired for mm-hmm. unrelated reasons. Walked on to the new coach team. Finished my degree in four years. Mm. Nothing stopped me. And I tell my students this story almost every semester. And they look at me like, and I've had students come to me and say, I was actually going to drop out. I didn't think I could handle this. And they'll stay in school. And I told them, my failure made that happen. Because I'm, I'm a middle child. I hate to use that excuse, but I'm used to being second. Right. I literally was born second. Right. <laughs> like, right. it's in my genes. So, failing is a part of This low-key is what made cognitive conditioning a thing. Because I got fired from my job, and I started making this program. Mm. So, if this means anything, TV land, and people on the podcast, like you said, embrace the fear. Wear that ugly shirt. Take that job offer that you're underqualified for. Because if you get it, that's the worst thing that can happen is you get it. Right. My bad. I'm underqualified. Let me step up to it. I'm making more money. You know what I'm saying? Right. Because you could fail and not get it. But right. does it help you not to try? Who has a better record? One for one, 25 for 18. 25 for 18. But most people live in that one for one because he undefeated. Right. But he only had one chance. Right. I'd be undefeated if I only did it once too. Right. But that's that's sad thing. It sounds crazy us saying it. But I think most people don't understand they live this one-for-one one record. Be that 25 for 18. But you lost 18 times, but you won is, 25 times. The thing is, too, though, when you win 25 times, it it makes those 18 losses. It shrinks them. Because people, people aren't going to remember those. People, people don't know that Jay-Z had a bad album that came out. You know, what album was that? Nobody knows. You just know the hits, you know. So you when you try more, you give yourself an opportunity to fail more, which is going to lead to you succeeding more which is the, the foundation of cognitive conditioning. Exactly. It's teaching athletes how to fail, giving them the ability to perform tasks under stress. And disclaimer real quick. When we say fail, we don't mean intentionally fail either. We mean when you do make a mistake, you and or your coach can give you feedback. Yes. That's what it's about. It's not just saying, oh, I lost. Ha <laughs> ha. No, it's I lost. Coach, what did I do wrong? Exactly. Or look at your own film and say, okay, this is where I went wrong. Or look at your own test scores on the test or the job interview and figure out where you went wrong. That's what the fear is about. So this doesn't mean just do things that are incredibly hard and don't do good. It means do things that are challenging enough 
like he said earlier, to make the brain, because the brain likes challenge. It likes yes. new activities. Yes. All right, Nick, it was a pleasure having you on episode nine of the Beast Thinking Podcast. Hey, number, number nine. Top, top. All Woo! right, we're out of here. Get your mind right. Hold on, hold on. Anybody still watching? Nope. Or had our coaches watching? He just called me those Ekis. Those Ekis. He's almost in strings.